All right, guys. So here we are. Uh, we got a special guest episode lined up for you guys. Uh, myself, uh, Chad, Carly, without her makeup. Um, <laughs> we're uh, we're really happy to welcome uh, one of the all-time greats to the podcast tonight. I'm not talking about Patty. He's filling in, by the way. Our good buddy Patty from the Average Joe's episode. If you haven't caught that episode, check it out. We're looking forward to more Average Joe's coming up. But uh, Patty's filling uh, filling some shoes tonight, and he's going to do his best. Uh, we've got a We've got an episode for the uh, for the '80s fanboys, guys. We got one for the 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 real hardcore deep divers of the Toronto Maple Leafs nation, Ballard era, the Howard Ballard era. So, uh, without any further ado, uh, welcome to uh, episode 13 of the Deke Snipes LA podcast. Titter tatter, let's get at her. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, welcome to this is episode thirteen of the Deke Snipe Sally podcast. Yep. Uh, we're joined today by a very special guest, uh, Patty Phillips. Welcome to the show, Patty Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Patty is a guest. Kylie couldn't make it tonight, but we're joined by uh, by uh, a, a guy I grew up uh, idolizing for uh, for as a child. Um, he was born, raised in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, uh, he was ranked in 1983, the second best, uh, goaltending option in the, uh, in the entry draft. Uh, he was drafted 48th overall that year by the Toronto Maple Leafs, spent eight seasons uh, with the Leafs, a uh, veteran of over 200 games in the NHL. He's the little, the little big man of NHL goalies to one, the only Mr. Alan Bester. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely, sir. For episode 13.B. Yeah, there yes. you go. That's that's the tongue in cheek that's going on here. We uh, we tried to record this more or less the same episode uh, not 24 hours ago, and technical difficulties led to us here again. So uh, so yeah, here we are. Uh, I'm gonna have a, he's good a similar to chat. We're well prepped now, I guess, two. if nothing else. So uh, so yeah, I guess we'll dive right into it, like just like we had hoped to do yesterday. Yeah. Um, so obviously, Alan, we 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 talked about. Uh, I just mentioned about how you were drafted in 83. Uh, just wanted to you for you to be able to elaborate on your, you know, growing up in hockey, uh, who you might have cheered for, favorite player, you know, uh, outdoor rinks, what you were into as a as a kid. Well, I, as I said, I grew up in Hamilton, and uh, at age nine, I decided to play uh, organized ice hockey. Uh, prior to that, it had always been at the HAAA grounds, frozen uh, park, rink and I would play goal against the older kids and and in rubber boots and a baseball mitt and you know and they're firing pucks at me and I'm not smart enough not to stand in front of them and uh, then it moved on to playing Kiwanis League in uh, in Hamilton for a couple of years and then from there I uh, advanced um, I got uh, scouted or whatever and asked to play in Tiger Town which was a, a step up like double A yeah so I played there for a few years and then moved on to the Hamilton AAA Huskies. And um, from there, I got drafted to Detroit, excuse me, to Brantford. And when I was with Brantford, I got drafted to the NHL. And uh, at age 19, I started playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So basically, that's my hockey career. Um, <laughs> from start to finish. Yeah. And when, when I was younger, when I was nine, when I was uh, nine years old, we, uh, we had an outdoor rink that we practiced on. Uh, it never had the 4 a.m. Uh, situation where I had to be at the rink at 4 a.m. and practice. Yeah. We had games yeah. on Saturday and Sunday, but uh, we would practice like one night a week on Thursday nights out on the outside frozen uh, rink. Um, and that was about it. I mean, it was uh, pretty basic. My, my dad was at, at an age, my dad was 49 when I was born. So he had the time for me where he never had time for my my siblings who were 10 to 20 years older than me, oh, yeah. uh, but he never had time for them to, he was always working. But uh, by that time in his life, he had uh, kind of simplified his uh, job situation and had time to take me to practice and games. And, and uh, I was the benefit for it. And you were the youngest of eight. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was eight of us. Wow, uh, I, I have a sister who's seven years older and then uh, four brothers who were 10 to 20 years older. 
and two other sisters that fall in there also so wow yeah exactly that's yeah. a lot of mouths to feed that's one busy dad for sure yes it was yeah. Yeah, indeed so were the Leafs your favorite team growing up uh alan uh sadly no um Montreal Canadiens were my favorite team my dad was a Toronto Maple Leaf fan so I couldn't be a Leaf fan but my dad was <laughs> so uh, yeah so I was a Montreal Canadian fan uh, Ken Dryden was my favorite player as you can see from the picture over my shoulder uh, I had an autograph that's my one well my second autograph I got one with Johnny Bauer him I and Wendell nice. Clark together but then I got Ken Dryden to sign that for me uh Jim McKenney was actually able to get it for me and send it down to me so that's my pride and joy, my Dryden photo, my yeah. favorite mask, and his his uh, that's a iconic classic stance. So um, that's my one piece of memorabilia that I do do retain. Yeah, he's a big icon. I, I, I love talking about goalies, primarily because you guys are really weird. I find goalies to be really strange. Yeah, no problem. It's, it's a compliment. <laughs> you guys are not the average guys. Uh, you guys are, out, you think outside the box. You got to be a bit weird to stand in front of a, a four by six and let people fire hard rubber at you repeatedly. And uh, um, I found that no fun. One, it sounds like fun, doesn't <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly. And uh, yeah, sounds like fun until you get thrust into the Leafs net and you get the most shots, <laughs> the most shots of any yeah, goalie. Al McKinnis blasting at you. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what that's what I want to roll into. I guess uh, we uh, we had a little clip done up, and I'll play the clip, and it it pretty much outlines uh, my memories of Alan Bester prior to having met Alan, of course. Here, uh, yeah. I'll share that screen with you guys now. Just give me one second, and uh, um, I was big. I mean, I was a kid of the '80s, so I grew up uh, dying for Christmas morning to come to get my hands on that VHS cassette tape of uh, yeah. Rock'em Sock'em. And, and uh, I day. do believe this might have been, I don't, I can't remember which year I'm going to say two or three. I know I wasn't old enough to get it at Christmas. I, I might end up getting this VHS after the fact that is I wanted all of them. And I wanted to backdate to the ones that I hadn't got. This one's from it. Rock'em Sock'em 1, is it not? One? Is it that early? God, how old are you, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> Feeling uh, older by the minute. Yeah, we're, we're not helping the situation here. All right, guys, I'll throw it up there for you. Yeah. Uh, you can see that? Yep. All right. Connor's Alan Betcher, who I've often said has seen more rubber than a dead skunk on a strand scanning a highway. I heard a goalie complaining one time he had 13 shots in a period. Alan gets that many on a shift. Has he got a great glove or what? Get a load of this. There's a big time trend in all your highlights. There's always a player ends up in the back of the net and not the puck. That's, yeah. uh, Which is a good thing. <laughs> well, yeah. oftentimes Alan, Alan is the, is the beneficiary of a, of a, body slam or a body check or a <laughs> stuff that yeah. don't belong in hockey all over they, did, they didn't mind running into the goalies back then they, no, that was no. a, a way to throw him off his game yeah and there used to be retaliation for that too now there's nothing not in leafland anyway no no there used to be someone to back you up but not so much anymore yeah. so obviously the uh the theme of of that clip from uh from grapes was uh was the glove hand and that's what i always remembered like i said i, I used to play, play out in the streets with my buddies and i always liked to be a goalie and wear the road warrior gear and i was always bester with the big glove save you know big cartwheel and, <laughs> <the> big cartwheel. <laughs> yeah. you know, someone would bowl me over and i would cry but uh <laughs> but yeah no it's what i remember so that's what i i always i was curious like what was it what did you do in your training re regiment or what was it about growing up that gave you such a great glove hand well, I, I used to uh, use a tennis ball and stand close to a, fairly close to a wall and, and, and just throw it at myself and catch it. Yeah, just working on the reflexes of catching the ball mm -hmm. coming off the wall quite a bit. Um, plus, I just I played a lot. Um, yeah. I used to get calls from all over the city to come and play for their road hockey team playing Westdale versus, you know, Parkdale. And they'd want me to come play net for them. So I was always playing and, and I i don't know i just uh had quick reflexes i mean i got mm -hmm. from point a to point b quickly and my glove hand was pretty good so that's yeah. uh it was just it was just natural 
Guys like going high on you and shooting top corner all the time. Right, right. And plus my size being low, they were always shooting high. So you notice that a lot of the times yeah. I yeah. have to to, to uh, go upstairs with the glove to get it. Yeah, yeah see all that open net, you're going to go for it. Yeah. But back in those little days... Little did they like, know. Sorry. Oh, no. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Little did they know I could catch it. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was going to say, like, the glove hand save, and you don't see it as much anymore. It was... You often see the Patrick Waugh glove hand save. It was such a big thing in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, that flashy save and uh, with the glove hand and that extra little movement over the head. Um, yeah. You don't. I don't think you see that as much anymore. That that yeah, little yeah. bit of flash, but uh, it was a great part of the game. It it added to the uh, to the value of having those goalies in net. And it was fantastic. Well, the guys are so, didn't do it. so large nowadays, their shoulders are blocking the upper corners of the net, so right. you don't have to bring, bring up the big glove safe. I, with my size, I had to challenge a long way to cut down the angle and then use my, my reflexes. I always thought of myself as, as a shortstop type of goaltender where, um, you know, I just needed to uh, be as agile as possible and, and, you know, get the glove on it or either side. Right, and you get someone like, Ben Bishop bought six foot seven. Yeah. <laughs> full extra foot, you know. <laughs> extra I mean, foot. Where's he catching pucks? Where's he catching pucks? Yeah, exactly. On so the I, side, I, maybe. Go ahead, I heard a rumor, um, and I think this was Kelly Rudy who used to do this, who used to tie a skate lace inside of his jersey so that when that glove would go up, this would be underneath the arm would be a little bit more uh, I don't know what the right word is. It wouldn't be as flimsy. Would be the puck would hit it and would just drop. Are, are you for a lot of things? Like... Goaltenders did a lot of things over the years to try and cheat. Um, yeah. Tony Esposito yeah. had a webbing put between his knees, so when he butterflied, um, he had a webbing between his knees to, oh, wow. to help stop the puck. Uh, Mike Palmatier created the cheater on the glove, the between the thumb and the the wrist, that extra right. piece there. That was designed, I believe, by Mike Palmatier. Um, Hextall used to wear pants that were five times too big. Um, guy I played with in in uh, in uh, Orlando here, the Solar Bears, he would take rolls and add them to the outsides of his pants and the insides of his legs to try and. No, no way. Uh, so when he went down to cover more net, I mean, those the goalies are always looking for an edge and, and doing things to, to, as far as I was concerned, yeah. cheat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that's well, awesome. Crazy. I, didn't that. <laughs> I didn't even know that we mentioned about the strand, no. but it makes a ton of sense. Make it rigid like a sail. Catch Smart. it in a sail. Even more reason why we probably were going to be in the 93 finals. I think Kelly Rudy probably cheated more than he had to or needed to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's <laughs> competitive advantage is one thing. Uh, but uh <laughs> bending the rules uh <laughs> yeah. anyway it's going to be a thing it's always a thing uh players are always going to play on the edge too we see that with the constant cross checking and things that are illegal in the game but it still happens and everyone's going to live on those edges because that's what gives you that chance to to throw the other guys off it is what it is um one thing that we we chatted about uh, briefly yesterday which i which i found incredibly interesting uh and and of course you you're an excellent reference for it because you played at a time when there wasn't a lot of money in the game for players i mean the contracts were not hollywood wages like like they are today or even in the 90s um can you elaborate a little bit alan on what the salaries were like and, and you know what you're willing to say personally is fine whatever you can throw us well, i was laughing you guys pulled up my contract from 1984 i was kind of thought that was kind of interesting um mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, 1984. I was the starting goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs, making seventy thousand dollars. Ten years to the day later, Curtis Joseph is the starting goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs, making seven million a year. So, in ten years, uh, salaries went up a hundred percent for uh, for that situation. So it's insane. You know, it it's with salary disclosure and with um, collective bargaining agreement and sorry, and um, our salary arbitration, things got a lot better for the players as far as uh, their salaries are concerned. And, and the fact that Alan Eagleson was no longer representing the union, which helped a lot too. Yeah, a bit yes, of conflict sure. of interest there. Um, so did you guys pay into like a, or, or have access to a pension and whatnot back then in the, in the eighties, or was that something later on developed? No, there was a pension. Uh, the owners would, or the teams would put in like a thousand dollars a year for your pension, oh, yeah. uh, which 
by the time I moved on to the minors had increased by tenfold, which would have been nice. Uh, yeah. You know, I have a I have a pension that I could have started collecting at age 45. Mm-hmm. I haven't touched it yet. I'm hoping uh, I won't until at least I'm 65. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome, man. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned the contract. That's uh, everything is, is is fair game. Seems like on the internet, and that's uh, that's what we were able to pull off last night. It was a a, a really great facsimile of. Uh, of Alan's original contract. This is the last, the, the last page. The amendum, amendum, amendum to the National Hockey League uh, players standard standard players contract, and it's uh, talks about salary and bonuses, right? And it's got your uh, your John moniker name and uh, and your witness, which was your agent at the time. So, I, I I find that that stuff is so so interesting. I always like digging back to old contracts and and being like, I I just can't believe that the guys I rooted for in the '80s. We're making marginal, marginally more than like my dad was making, you know, like at the same <laughs> yeah. time, and yeah, it, it just absolutely blew my mind, you know, just average. Yeah, you reach the elite the level of a God-given talent. You reach the elite level, and you're uh, roommate, you know, you got roommates. Yeah, yeah. So in, a, yeah, in an apartment. Yeah, mm. but then, then again, you look at ten years before me, you know, there were players that had to have a second job in the summer. Yeah, it's kind of like across, yeah. To, yeah. to make ends meet because they were getting, you know, $10,000 a year. Mm. So, yeah, so things change over the years. So they would have looked at when I was playing saying, Oh, how lucky we are and how much we're getting paid. Well, 10 years from there, it's the same situation. So it's just, it's a progression. Yeah, no how did it work for you? Uh, did you stay in Hamilton, say around your, your parents area because you would live around Toronto or did you room with uh, some of the other players? Say that again. I'm sorry. Um, no, I know. I, I lived in Toronto. I lived in Toronto. I uh, okay. I got an apartment. There was to be no way to go to practice every day, driving 45 no. minutes from Hamilton to Toronto yeah. for practice. That's right. with, with the Toronto traffic as it was, uh, occasionally I would take the subway in, which was was interesting because everyone and his brother had their uh, ideas on how to cure the leaf situation. So that was yes. always fun. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, we got I all the answers driving. here, right? I mean, we, we've got all the answers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Casual yeah. fan, the, the the coach GM, of course. Uh, that leads me to something, actually, you just you just sparked my memory on it, something I had seen. We didn't talk about it uh, in, our, in our previous chat. Um, there, I remember seeing a video. I don't remember who. It was one of the local news stations. They, they interviewed you after, uh, after you'd been selected by the Leafs. And uh, there was a lot made of Alan Bester, the sex symbol, as a... Uh, <laughs> as a, a title that was being tossed around as a 19 year old being drafted to the Leafs and girls lining up for autographs. I mean, do you still have that same experience in Orlando there now? Uh, now? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> At 57 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, I, I, I've got total anonymity here in Orlando. Uh, I'm known as a sales manager for Hilton hotels. That's about it. Yeah. Um, yeah back then it was uh, an interview by the Hamilton local news and yeah. they uh, called me uh, Disco handsome and darling of the end blues. Disco handsome, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that they uh, they interviewed some, or never interviewed, but got a soundbite from one of the girls who was lining up to get an autograph. She said, "Oh my god, I can't make it to meet Alan Bester." You know, it was it was, it was pretty well done by the, by the Hamilton News. I thought it was it was pretty cute. But anyway, I thought I'd throw it out there because it was it just it just popped in my memory. Um, but I mean, we're talking about the Leafs now. I guess we're, we're into that portion of the of the of the show. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about the, the uh, Harold Ballard era. I mean, he was noted among fans as being the destruction of the team. While among the players, he was he was beloved by a lot of the players. The players seemed to be like he was the player's owner, even though he didn't pay out the big bucks. He still treated everyone really well. I wonder if you could elaborate on your experience with uh, with Ballard. Well, I was a fan of Mr. Ballard. I mean, uh, when I first came up, uh, played the World Junior Championships and. When I got back to Brantford, I was told that uh, I'd be going to Toronto. So I went to Toronto and I uh, sat on the bench for a couple of games and I got a chance to play and I played four or five games, played pretty well, and I uh, got sent back to junior. Well, I come to find out that um, the fans in Toronto were chanting my name, wanting me to come back. And uh, Mr. Ballard in his wisdom, <laughs> uh, decided that uh, even though they were having a bad year and they were going to miss the playoffs, he said, the fans want Bester, bring him back. So I was able to come back from junior 
junior A hockey at age 19 in January and finished the season in Toronto. And uh, so I've got nothing but good things to say about Mr. Ballard. He treated me very well. Um, my brother passed away a year or two later and Mr. Ballard made the trip from uh, Toronto to Hamilton to be at his funeral. And mm. uh, that was uh, something that touched me very deeply. Oh, for sure. You certainly didn't need to take the time to do that. And that's, uh, that's the kind of stories I, you love to hear. You don't, we don't always get that kind of, uh, those kind of stories in the media, certainly when it's, uh, well, like I said, with Ballard, it would have been uh, a media-driven frenzy, which fired the fans Controversy off, you know? after controversy, right? So it's nice to hear something good for a change. Oh, absolutely. And it's not the first time I've heard it, that players enjoyed Ballard as an owner. You know, he treated well, one night, well. One night, I walked into the rink, and Mr. Ballard was in the trainer's room uh, because he had diabetes. He was, he was being treated. And so I walked by, and uh, Mr. Ballard goes, Hey, Alan, I can get you a ride at Greenwood next week. And I looked at him and said, uh, you know, Mr. Bell, you better be nice to me. I said, he goes, what? I said, you better be nice to me. I'll ruin your reputation and tell everyone you're a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. I think yeah, Wendell, I, I've heard stories too of Wendell loving him as well and, and saying lots of good, uh, lots, lots of good stuff about Harold Ballard because w w actually one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, what was it like playing in the eighties? Arguably one of the, darkest decades in Leafs history it couldn't be easy and you I recall so many good draft picks and top end picks with Clark and Cortnell and a lot of great talent in the 80s but uh, unfortunately it didn't work out well the situation was we didn't have the right direction uh either from the GM's position or the coach's position uh when you when you hand the team over to a guy like Claire Alexander and try and get him to uh run an NHL team, um, you're destined to fail. Um, we just, we just didn't have the right leadership in place. Mr. Ballard was loyal to players that uh, played in the system and, and didn't go outside the, the alumni for, um, coaching, uh, general manager. It would, it would have been good to have a more better direction and would have made the team more cohesive, maybe put the right lines together, maybe instilled some confidence in players instead of fear. Um, mm. So I, I yeah. think it was that. I mean, we had some great players from Builder Lego to Boria Salmi to Rick Vive, you know, Wendell Clark, Gary Lehman, Eddie Olchuk, Mark Osborne. We had players. We had great mm. players. We just needed to, to someone to bring them together. Um, a coach like Barry Melrose would have been completely – fantastic for our organization he knew how to motivate each individual separately and yeah. uh, i end up having a little bit of success with barry in, in the future yeah absolutely yeah. well talking talking about that i mean we might as well roll right into if you're talking about uh, a dysfunctional team in the 80s not necessarily at the fault of the players and maybe not even the owner to a point uh we might as well talk about the the perceived rivalry between yourself and Ken Reggett at the time. I mean, there was a lot made in the media about that too. And, uh, and uh, I was always curious about that. And I know we, we talked, we chatted about it briefly last night, but I mean, I'd, I'd just like to hear your comment on, on the rivalry between the two young goalies. Well, Ken and I had a professional rivalry. We both, we were both 19 years old. We both wanted to play. We both didn't want to get sent down to the minors. Um, coaching and home ownership or coaching and management would always pit us against each other and try and uh, force us to, to be in competition all the time rather than being together and working together. Um, yeah. When I went into training camp after my first year, I only I played 32 games out of a possible 36 when I first came up to the Leafs and Pombatier was in training camp the next year. Um, I roomed with him and he said, you know, it'll be you and I this year you'll play the majority of games. I'll fill in. That would have been a great situation for me when you have an older goaltender who, who is there to help the younger Mentor. guy succeed. Yep. But when you throw two 19 year olds on a team that's struggling, uh, you know, Ken and I, we did the best we could to be there for each other, but we couldn't be because we were in competition the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough. There's yeah. a potential when you're always, you know, fearful and you know just always hostile intense 
you know, it's not the, it's not the best way to get the potential out of people. Well, I had a, I had a coach in, in high school and that's, that's the one thing you always say, the last thing you want your goaltender doing is looking over their shoulder and he made it literally and figuratively. Uh, they yep. don't want to have to be worrying about their job and they don't want to be looking over their shoulder for that. And they don't want to be looking over their shoulder for the puck either. So, um, and uh, I, I really find that whole concept fascinating because again, it was driven or it was, the problem was created by the coaches. And then of course the media got hold to it and they didn't do it any favors, you know, you know, who's the number one, who's the number two, what's going to happen here. I, I mean, the articles were, I won't say numerous, but it was, it was always a topic whenever, whenever they ran out of something to talk about in Toronto, it would go back to, you know, a couple of key stories that they, they would always hone in on and, and try to make something out of, out of what should have been nothing, you know? So. Um, they still do it all the time. Well, that's, that's the media, right? I mean, Patrick Marlowe just surpassed Gordie Howe in games played. And uh, I was scrolling through the internet and there was a lot of congratulations, a lot of tweets from former players, from great guys from the eighties, nineties, right on up through, uh, it's a huge, it's a huge accomplishment to play that many games in the NHL to be the number one guy. And, uh, good old Steve Simmons from the Toronto sun pipes in and he's, uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, Marlowe was basically done three years ago. I, I respect him as a player, but I uh, don't really respect how he got there. I'm like, well, you're an idiot like why, why throw that out there to the public like yeah. what what good does that do for the world the dude you know? broke one of the biggest one of the biggest records in hockey history but yeah, yeah anyway enough about toronto media no one wants to hear about, about that, that guy I, I feel bad even mentioning it Ugh. anyway <laughs> yeah so. I know. but uh so we're talking about the leafs um players uh that you got to play with you you outlined multiple players just now uh, which which of the the lot just stands out to you in in, in your mind when you when you think about the great players that you play with with the Leafs, uh, and we'll do the same for Detroit as well because I mean <laughs> there's there's some star yeah, power there. That's, uh, that's two two all star teams I'd love to see play each other, but uh, who stands out to you, uh, Alan, as, as the, the guy heads and tails above everybody else? Probably two players in in the Toronto organization that I played with. Uh, one being Borja Salming. I mean he was a he was an all star. He was. Um, one of the greatest that came from Sweden and uh, paved the way for so many more players in, in the, in, for in the future for, for them to make it to the NHL. But Borea was, was an unbelievable player. Um, but from a total respect standpoint, um, I think of Wendell Clark as the ultimate leaf. Um, his work ethic, his desire, his uh, team, teamship, his team, his, um, leadership as a, a teammate. Um, I just think Wendell Clark was uh, probably my favorite player to ever play with. And then you think of Detroit, um, one, one player jumps to mind in Detroit, it's Steve Eiserman. Uh, sure. Workaholic, he worked, he worked every night on the ice, he worked off the ice. Um, you know, Steve was just a complete hockey player and overlooked as one of the greatest to have yeah. ever played the game. Yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, what I find fascinating nowadays, I mean, those are players who who, who dominated in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And uh, and those are the guys who, a lot of them, who've gone on to be great general managers. You got Joe Sackick there, who's running a team. Mm-hmm. Steve Osman running a team. And they're just, they're just stand, stand, yeah, standout general managers as well who know the game. It's uh, it's not by coincidence that they got where they are. You know, just Knocking it out of the park on every level of hockey. Oh, just yeah. just absolute, yeah. absolute Inside out. studies of the game. So. No, that's... I gotta ask. I, I gotta ask Ryan because you know Wendell is my favorite. Oh yeah. yeah. How tough was he, Alan? Uh, like we all uh, see our videos. Uh, the first time I saw him was actually not. I, I went to a game, our first game at the Gardens in '91, Toronto Detroit, and then later that week, Toronto and Chicago, and just seeing Wendell up live and uh, like, was he really that strong? I know he was that strong, but how good was he? He he was an amazing player. First of all. Um, great wrist shot. Um, he cracked my mask in practice one day with a wrist shot. Um, no way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it's nice of them to keep it low for me. Um, and then, uh, you know, he would take on, he'd take on the toughest guys on every team every from Sam Semenko to Bobby Probert to Bobby McGill. And, you know, he just, uh, Marty McSorley, he, he would take on anybody and, um, he was a selfless player. Um, and tough as nails. Um, I know he blew his knee out in a game, sat in the penalty box, um, and got out of the penalty box and went after the guy that took his knee out. And then 
was out for six weeks because his knee was blown. But he came out of the penalty box and fought the guy first before he <laughs> went, went and was out for six weeks because his knee was injured. Do you uh, recall yeah. the Bruce? Do you recall the Bruce Bell hit? You yes. Oh, yes. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that was um, that was a big one. Wow. Yeah, yeah that lit up. Yeah, it's like me running into a freight train. Yeah, my favorite recent story. And, and he was known for that. He was known for clean body checks. Absolutely. Yep. You know, Wendell was not a dirty player under any circumstance at all. Yeah, no, he's a quality guy. And the, the recent story that we got out of uh, Joe Bowen, like I said, when he was on the show not long ago, uh, he, he, we, I can, we always ask Wendell Clark. Wendell Clark's one yeah, of the greatest players Wendell ever played the game. It's hard not to ask about Wendell Clark when you're talking to anybody. Like, you know, when, when I go to church and give confession, I ask about Wendell Clark. You know, <laughs> so that's just that's just the way it's going to be. Can he come back? <laughs> well, sometimes I look at him like, man, I think he could still go. <laughs> you oh, know, definitely. but uh, but Joe told us, you know, we asked Joe about his because he used to he interviewed Clark as a rookie and whatnot several times, and uh, he of course worked closely with Bob McGill uh, through broadcasting, and he he asked Bob about uh, you know what it was like going to tra training Clark with Wendell with uh, training camp with Wendell Clark, and and McGill said, man, it was it was intense. He said I had to fight him six times. <laughs> in training camp, you know and i love that story and i and i always like to share that one because it's just it tells you everything you need to know about the guy's work ethic yeah. and determination and drive and, and hearing that he broke your mask i mean that doesn't surprise me because he wasn't going to hold back ever you know it's 100 percent 100 percent of the time so i'm going to add that bester's mask crack to my list of reasons why i love he did it to cujo <laughs> yeah. yes and he did it to cujo in st louis yeah <laughs> yeah i'll never forget that one what a shot Oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing. So, obviously, uh, we talked about this last night, but I want to talk about it again because I, I know a lot of fans have, a lot of my card collecting buddies, my memorabilia buddies have asked about this. Um, a couple of years ago, they released a Centennial box set, uh, 2016, I guess it would have been. And uh, I was so stoked, went out and I got myself one of the boxes and whatnot. And the card I hit, of course, was the Alan Bester uh, assigned seat. So a piece of a uh, patch of uh, seat from Maple Leaf Gardens signed by Mr. Bester. And in the same box, I also got the uh, uh, paper cut. There was 10 different paper cuts in the set, or in the box anyway. There's 50 paper cuts in the set. Um, I was always curious the process that uh, that, that goes through, Alan, for, for the cards to make it to you and, and, and how the transaction goes with the company who are who's providing it. In this case, it would have been... Uh, president's choice so they're not even affiliated with the nhl but just curious um you would get a phone call or an email uh maybe possibly through linkedin uh they'd ask if uh, i would be interested in signing so many autographs for x amount per autograph um and you agree to it they send you a contract you sign off on it you send it back to them and they turn around and either fedex or uh, ups you a 500 cards and yeah. you sit down over a, a couple days two or three days maybe a week and sign every card and package them back up and send them back to them and uh, then they send you a check so it's it's a pretty easy transaction um and uh it, you know it only takes you know half hour 45 minutes a session to sign and you do yeah. that for two or three days and you're done yeah, absolutely. And pretty easy money, I guess, for you guys, which is which is always nice. Nice little pat on the back after <laughs> after all yeah. the years. A couple extra bonuses. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's nothing that you're going to pay your uh, mortgage with, but no. uh, you know, oh. a little extra cigar money. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Chad, you had something you want to talk about with regard to the uh, yeah. Surgery. Um, I grew up as a goalie through the minor hockey system. I was a house leaguer, and I was happy being that. And uh, you know, I was learning and I always watched you a lot with my dad and uh, watching the super series back in the day, I was trying to find this goal uh, because it's something I learned and I had to scour for a while before I found it. And it was December 31st, 1989. It was the Toronto Maple Leafs versus like, the Dynamo Moscow super series in the middle, like Christmas time, just after Christmas. And you're playing these games against, you know, Russian teams. Um, I remember the first goal of that game, and I, I just saw it uh, recently, where it's kind of crashing that you're getting pushed back in the net once again. But the puck's coming in, and you use the glove once again, and you catch it, but you go back into the net. I'm like, hey, he saved it. And my dad's like, well, it's still a goal. I'm like, what do you mean? It's in his glove. He's like, but it's in the net. I'm like, but it's in his glove in the net. He saved it. I'm like, he did his job. The net's not doing anything. 
uh, <laughs> I learned that night. Okay, keep the puck out of the net, even if it's in my glove or anywhere. But uh, at nine years old, I was like, hey. I'm know, glad I can teach you a lesson. That's, that's Yeah, I know. And you know what? I still yeah. think it should be a save. If you catch that thing, man, that's yours. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, my puck. My you know, equivalent to catching a baseball over the fence. Exactly. It's not a home run. If you're... No. It's true. Yeah. Actually, I never even thought about it like that, Patty. You're, you're yeah, yeah. Me neither. Yeah. No. I still deserve no, We're talking about real it. sports. We're not talking about baseball. We're talking about real sports. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Slammer. And then we ended up talking about they had a shootout after the game, and it was like Moscow ended up winning seven to four was the total. I don't hmm. know what it was. I don't remember that score. No. <laughs> I don't remember one of those. Too rare. Well, I mean, no better shots. time than to drive into the game stats. I don't think than after that one. I mean, we 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 made a we made a big deal about Alan's glove work, of course, at the beginning of the show. But the two things that everyone always remembers about Alan Bester was the glove and the shots faced, and uh, the stat. I don't know the exact number, but I know it was over thirty in your rookie season. You faced over thirty-seven shots per game on average. That was your average yes. average night. And I pulled the game the game logs. It was a couple pages from your rookie season, and I was scrolling through. And I mean, your first game, 41 and 29, 34, 40, 37, 34, 36, 52, 27, 29, on up through and culminating with a 65 shot effort against, uh, against, Hartford. uh, Hartford, Hartford, Hartford yeah. <laughs> later in the season. Uh, and I mean, you were riddled with, with, with 50 shot nights. And, and the funny thing, the funny thing with that Hartford game, I ran into, um, Jerry Cheevers. Oh, okay. cool. Who was who was announcing for the Hartford Whalers. And I had played against Boston um, for earlier in the season where I think we, we had a six-game winning streak, which was unbelievable. We had this four- or six-game winning streak. We beat Boston back-to-back. We beat them in the Garden and beat them in back in Maple Leaf Gardens two nights, two, two um, consequential nights. And uh, Jerry Cheevers comes to me and goes, you little – you got me fired because <laughs> the Leafs beat Boston twice in a row. <laughs> that got him fired. Yeah. We well, had to take you back for the next series against Boston. Yeah. 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 Strap him on. The, and again, like I said, we talked about the two big things and the, the other sub note to everyone's member of Alan Bester was the size. And uh, like I said, uh, the, uh, the league had you listed, as five seven one fifty two in your rookie year, but you tell me that's probably not. <laughs> yeah, that was a little heavy. You know, I was uh, I I come into practice maybe one forty five. I'd leave practice at one thirty five. I'd go home, <laughs> have pasta, steak, everything I could eat. Come back back at one forty five when I stepped on the scale after practice one thirty five. So mm. same with games. Wow. I'd go into the game at, at probably close to one fifty if if I was lucky, but I'd come out in the one thirties. So um, I was, I was five, seven, but 135 playing most nights. So, I mean, Crazy we always see, we always see the water bottle on top of the nets now, of course, or strapped to the back or whatever. Um, and we always, every, every break we see the goalie, you know, grab a, grab a sip when he can. But I mean, just how much water do you put through in a, in a game like that? Is, is, is it an astronomical amount or is it what, you know, a liter or where, where are we sitting with that? Well, I've never measured it to be no. uh, to be accurate, but uh, I go through at least a bottle, a water bottle per period, definitely, really? and then and then actually uh, have a mixture of uh, Gatorade water between periods, maybe two or three cups of that, because um, you are losing a lot of uh, body fluids out there. Oh, at least I sure. was. Yeah. Wow. So playing in the gardens was it like a warm rink to play in the gardens? Yeah, it was. It was a warm rink, definitely. Yeah. Um, so was Boston. So was Chicago. A lot of the older rinks were uh, where the fans were right on top of you. Um, the air conditioning and uh, temperatures were a little warmer. Uh, yeah, sometimes you ice. get bad ice because of it too. Yes, that's right. And uh, I noticed Toronto was always bouncy. Everything yeah. seemed bouncy there. Uh, I started playing rec hockey again after 20 something years off. And I'd play down the mall one, which is our professional rink. And I can't imagine a professional athlete putting out that much energy in that kind of heat because i'm there and i'm kind of i'm not very good i'm kind of hanging back and i am just like i can't even see it's just like running in my eyes <laughs> like how do you guys do it night after night at that level it's insane like it's a new appreciation when you feel that heat well you you gotta remember we're doing it all the time we're doing it every single yeah, day conditioned for, i guess yeah for, for six or seven months a year and then 
doing it through the summer also, but not to that same extreme. Um, you know, you, you play, play scrimmage games during the summer and then you go and you go train. Uh, for me, a lot of my training was playing uh, volleying tennis, just standing back, hitting tennis balls, moving back and forth, uh, not keeping score, just continuous uh, rallies back and forth and playing tennis. Yeah. Or um, then I would uh, play two or three hours of squash with, uh, with a buddy of mine. We would play lots of squash. And uh, again, you know, it was very, very intense, very uh, um, taxing on the body, but th that kept me that's my best physical condition because oh, yeah, me to I mean, sit on a bike and ride a bike for an hour was not was not entertaining to me that was tough no. but, um, yeah. or getting on the tre uh, treadmill or the, the stairmaster um, I prefer to play sports and playing squash would really kept me in shape and it's all lateral movement and quick reflex yep. yes how, how would you rate your physical fitness now as a uh, as a hotel executive as opposed to you know your time in the NHL comparable or where are we at with that have you heard of Pillsbury Doughboy? Oh <laughs> boy, that's what I'm talking about. I've uh, I've uh, put a little weight on. I look like I've eaten Alan Bester back in the eighties. Um, <laughs> nah. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. No, you, you you go ahead. I just saying, you know, I'm uh, vertically challenged, but uh, being two thirty and five seven just doesn't cut it. I need to lose about a good thirty pounds. Get back to that sex symbol status. You got to get there, man. Oh, gosh. Back to Hamilton. <laughs> Hamilton, yeah. <laughs> Patty, you had something for him? Yeah. What was it like playing in the gardens in those days? Uh, again, I, I saw a couple of games myself. Uh, quite a difference in watching a game at um, Maple Leaf Gardens versus Scotia Bank Arena. Totally different. I still remember watching those games. Uh, what was it like when the fans were just on top of you? Well, one, I remember quite well was Boston Garden because they they were right on top of you. Um, yeah. I could hear the conversations uh, between people up in the stands behind me. You know, it was amazing. Wow. Uh, wow. Ch Chicago, another one where it was just unbelievably loud with that, uh, the organ going and just the noise in that facility, the way the, the resonance throughout the whole building, um, you knew you were in, in a game. Um, and Maple Leaf Gardens was great, you know, but the funny thing is while the play is going, I don't know there's anybody in there. I don't know right. there's a single person in the, in the stands until I've made a save and they start cheering. It's like, Oh yeah, great. You know, there's people here, <laughs> but otherwise I, you know, I'm so focused on following the puck and looking for deflections, looking for the, the open man. Um, don't even know there's anybody in the stands. No, all the senses are focused. Yeah. Yeah. On that one thing. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I, I, again, I love talking to goalies. They're, they're, it's just it, 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 it's a different breed. It's a different mindset. They're, they get like I said, you got to be a little weird to play goal, and uh, and I just love the goalie stories. Speaking of which, so I, I I mean I love goalies. I collect a bit of goalie memorabilia, like an old master was on my Bauer and some pads and odds and ends. Um, just wonder what you kept, Alan, from your career, from your playing playing years. Anything that might have made its way to Orlando and kind of got to stay to stay the course. Well, I, I, I got three things. I said to you two last night, my right. wife reminded me there was a third thing that I, I had forgotten, but uh, there's about three things that I've kept from my playing days. And, and the one is I've got a Jersey from just about every team I played for team Canada, uh, Brantford Alexander's Detroit. I had a, I got a Adirondack Jersey. I, the Detroit Jersey, the original six Jersey that uh, with Detroit across the chest, um, it got sold by the trainer before I could buy it. Uh, I've got a Dallas jersey. I've got my uh, Anaheim Mighty Ducks inaugural season jersey. So I've basically got a, a one jersey from every team I played for. So that's one thing I have. And another thing is all three of my masks. I've got my Toronto mask, my original one, then the second Toronto mask after Wendell cracked the first one, um, <laughs> among other people. But yeah. that was one of the one of the ones that uh, needed to be replaced so they replaced that mask and then when i went to detroit we painted over that mask with my detroit colors so i've got a toronto detroit and a beautiful orlando solar bears mask so cool. those are the three i have and the third and last thing is the jack butterfield trophy from being playoff mvp oh, son of a glorious year <laughs> you son of a well, hey, how, could you, do it? how yeah. could you do it to us and then we and we were going to throw it in your face too alan i mean like we're diehards here right like we're old school St. John's Maple Leafs. And for those out there listening to the podcast who don't know the story, 
I might as well elaborate because it damaged me as a fan. I mean, I grew up a Bester fan. I, I loved the guy. Uh, had the hockey cards, had the gear. And the good old Toronto Maple Leafs, as they always do, decided to trade away one of my favorite players. Uh, so in 91, uh, Allen moved on to, uh, to the Wings and was playing for the Adirondack Red Wings at the time in the AHL. Correct? Yes. Correct. Uh, that was the same year that the Baby Leafs moved uh, from Ontario to Toronto, or to Toronto, to the Rock, uh, to St. John's, and uh, stayed for 20 years. But in their inaugural season, we made it to the Calder Cup final. And uh, who should we run into but Leafs alumni, Alan Bester. And unfortunately, the rest is history. We really wanted to give it to Alan and, and make him apologize on TV, but it doesn't seem like he's overly apologetic. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beauty. That's a beauty, man. Oh, he got the top MVP handed to him here in St. Yeah. John's in the old so, burn Memorial stadium. Yeah. The stadium is no was longer. A, that was a great series. That was yeah. truly a great series. We had, uh, we had a lot of battles through the playoffs with the Adirondack Red Wings with Barry Melrose's coach. And we had a lot of, uh, unknown players really that, uh, played to the, their best abilities. And, uh, but, uh, when we got to the finals, we, we faced the, the St. John's Leafs and, uh, the funny thing was we went into the, your barn and we won the first two games. So yeah. coming back to our barn, we thought, yeah, we've got this series done. We're going to sweep them in four. Next thing you know, we lose our two at home. Then we go back to St. John's and we win that game. You come back here, win that game. And <laughs> yeah. then we have game yeah. seven, game seven back in, uh, in St. John's. So, uh, the, uh, the score ended up the right way. The good guys won, so that was oh, good. Oh, come on. That's <laughs> cruel, man. I'll tell you what you did. That that arena is now a super a supermarket. Oh, really? It yeah, still looks a... like the arena, but it's a supermarket. Yeah, that's what you did. That's what you did, Ellen. Yeah. <laughs> you turned the, the burn into a supermarket. It took 20 years, but I closed down the arena, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the writing was on the wall. Well, the funny thing is we, we were a damaged fan base after that. Uh, typical of Leafs fans, and it took us 30 years before we got our first professional championship here, and that was just two years ago, the Newfoundland Growlers, which are the ECHL affiliate now of the, okay. uh, the Leafs. In their inaugural season, ironically enough, they won the Kelly yeah. Cup and uh, brought us our first championship 30 years after Bester stole it. So uh, screw you, Bester. Uh, no, but uh, I think... Well, it's been uh, fun, guys. You guys have a good night. Take care. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, well, but uh, I mean, we might as well talk about some of the post, some of the post, uh, post career stuff, or actually career stuff, post NHL stuff. Um, so we hit the, uh, we hit the um, Calder Cup, but you, you later on in your career there, you had, you had a lot of, like anybody who played that high level of hockey for that long in the 80s, you ran into a lot of injuries. Um, I'm just curious, do you still feel any of the impact currently of some of the stuff that you sustain as a player? Um, not really. I was pretty lucky. Um, I had major ankle surgery right towards the end of my career. Um, something that had happened early in my career that, uh, was a nagging injury throughout my career. Finally, um, for whatever reason tore, um, it just, mm -hmm. it, it got worse and I had to have surgery on it. So that was one thing. And the repair doesn't bother me whatsoever. Um, I did have um, chromial decompression done in my right shoulder while I was playing. And I had my left shoulder separated playing slow pitch baseball, nothing oh, else. So uh, that's about it. I, and really, I, I have no limitations. I have no aches and pains coming from hockey besides, you know, my back gets stiff lifting those boxes at FedEx. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be me and I'm only in my, uh, my late 30s, so. I can, I can respect that one. So uh, in your later years, though, you had an opportunity. Uh, didn't pan it, I'm sure, the way you, you envisioned it. But you had an opportunity with Team Canada. That must have been a, a great experience, too, eh? Yeah, I was I was thrilled to be selected to Team Canada. I would much rather have made the playoffs that year with the Leafs, but we lost out in the final game of the season. And so I got the call to go to Team Canada. Um, and uh, so I went overseas and was in Prague, Czechoslovakia. I was in um, Germany. We were in Sweden. Um, but the problem was, uh, I, during a game against Germany, I, uh, someone landed on me and I tweaked my, my right knee. And so I had, uh, they taped it up, but it, I couldn't play with it taped up. So 
Uh, they brought in Peter Sidorkovich to, to replace me and oh, yeah. then gave me the option yeah. of staying or flying back. So I decided to fly back because I had a, um, a young baby at that time and wanted to get home. Yeah, and I think it was Grant Fuhrer and Sean Burke were the other That's right. two. Right. Yeah. That's some yeah. big names. Big names. Yeah. Well, I mean, the 80s were full of them. We uh, we had the pleasure of having Theo Fleury on the podcast there. Oh, God, it must have been a couple months ago. And uh, he made the point of uh, of point note. He said, you know, everyone makes a big deal this day and age about the Austin Matthews and the Connor McDavid's of the league and these generational talents. And Fleury said, he said, we had 40 of those guys in the league when I played. You know, it was just a absolutely ridiculous, offensively minded, talent laden league. And uh, yeah, to be a guy who had to stand between the posts of that man, props to you. Like, in all honesty, all jokes on the side. Holy hell. I mean, yeah. Just facing, facing Edmonton and Calgary and the Islanders in the 80s was, was tough. Yeah. You know, you oh, you would face sure. a lot of shots and a lot of top quality scoring chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, top quality scoring chances. Yeah. And Gretzky never scored on you, I guess. No, 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 he never did. As far <laughs> as I'm concerned, um, <laughs> he's, he scored at least two on me in a game in Edmonton, and he scored two on me when he was with LA. That's the, the two that I do remember, both of those. Yeah. And the funny thing was, was Mike Allison set him up on both goals when he played for for uh, LA, which you know you figured Gretzky would set up Allison, but Allison set up Gretzky, which was kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're not expecting that as a goaltender. Was there anybody well, you think, particular? Gretzky, was there any Gretzky players? makes everybody better on the ice, so you yeah, know, of course it does. Mike Allison was a uh, was a scoring fanatic then. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any players you didn't like playing against specifically? <sighs> Nothing personal, but on ice. Uh, Dale Howardchuk, um, yeah. he kind of had my number, uh, him and Steen, uh, for whatever reason, Winnipeg wasn't that great a team. And so we assumed we could beat them. So we yeah. would play, play a wide open style against them and the game would end up seven, six or eight, oh, seven. Yeah. And, uh, they scored a lot on me. I think my goals against average against Winnipeg is in the sixes average, oh, no, uh, yeah. you know, with Detroit, it's like two point something, but against the against Winnipeg, it's like six or seven. So, uh, yeah, that, that was a tough team for me to play against. Um, you know, Dale Howardchuk was a, a wonderful player, great player. Yes, he was, yeah. Really yeah. good. And sad, team... sad news with his passing. Yeah, that was, was a terrible, terrible loss for the hockey community just in general. He doesn't so much for the community, too. He's one of those guys who was big-time involved after his playing career. He used his notoriety to do a lot of good in the, in, in, in the game and around the game. So, big-time loss. Well, was there a team that you felt like you had their number, Alan, when you were playing them in the eighties? I mean, uh, Detroit. I played. I yeah. played very well against Detroit. They were uh, a team Curly that I off. seemed to always get up against. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Iserman, Fedorov, and and all those guys, and Sean Burr, and um, Fedek, and oh, geez, so many guys to remember. But uh, no, I played well against them. I I think I played them like twenty four times, and I was three quarters of the games were wins in our our favor. Uh, and the one special night was uh, last game of the season. We had to beat Detroit to make the playoffs. Ken Reggett started. We were down 3-0 or 4-0, 3-0 in the first period. Uh, Brophy throws me in. We come back and beat them 5-3. I stopped two or three breakaways, uh, at least two with Iserman. And we end up getting into the playoffs. And I started the playoffs that year for against Detroit. So, um, you know, it was uh, – Detroit was always a, a team that I played well against. I had of my seven shutouts. I had two of them against Detroit. Um, so when I went on the open market, Toronto went, gave, put me on the open market for trade. Detroit traded for me because they didn't want me to go to Minnesota or Chicago at the time yeah. be against them. So they traded for me and then they buried me in the minors. It's like you can't beat them, join them kind of That's thing. Like right? the I feel like the Leafs just did that with Dave. <laughs> it really is. I think the Leafs just did that with Dave Riddick. Yeah, absolutely. How, how good was Eisenman in the 80s? Because you know what? He never really made his number until like I recall in 92, old. 93 when, when the Leafs went up against them. But like, how good was he in the 80s when Detroit were real bad? Well, he, he was their bright star. Um, he would he would carry that team every night. Um, you know, uh, one, as I said, two players that I have the greatest respect for is Wendell Clark and Steve Eisenman. Uh, Eisenman, just a uh, consummate pro, uh, works unbelievably hard off on and off the ice um, and didn't have a lot of other tools with him 
and he still was able to put up great numbers and, and lead that team, even though they didn't have uh, any supporting cast for him for a lot of years. So, uh, you mentioned John Brophy. Uh, he was a pretty wild dude. Any, uh, anything funny about John Brophy? I'm sure there's got to be countless stories about Oh, Brophy. there's countless stories about John Brophy. I had him in the minors prior to, to uh, coming back Lucky to you. Toronto. He brought, me, he brought me back to Toronto after I got sent down in my second year. Um, John was unbelievably passionate about the game and about winning. And he would come in between periods if we weren't playing well and lose his mind, just absolutely lose his mind. He had white hair and beat red and take his suit jacket off and tear it to shreds. And I, I often wondered how many pairs of slacks that he have in his closet with no suit jackets. <laughs> uh, John, uh, John uh, tried to, go underneath the uh, the stands in LA one night stood up too quick and the cut stands hit him in the back of the head <laughs> and he's standing on the bench and there's blood running down the back of his <laughs> white hair onto his collar the trainer's trying to get him with a towel he's like pushing him away going leave me alone leave me alone broke bleeding all the way down the back of his neck just, what was he doing yeah. back there <laughs> John was an intense character well you had to you, you either went all the way around and came across the ice and got to the bench or oh, okay, you could yeah. sneak under the stands and get on the bench well that's what he tried to do and he ended up cracking his head but we I were, recall we seeing a picture of that good, and he, he was pretty upset and he wouldn't <laughs> let the trainer touch him it was uh it was funny John was a. Uh, was uh, quite a character, quite a character. Yeah, oh, he definitely there's a, was. There's a lot of video going around or some pictures going around of that incident where you can see the uh, the red blood just going through the the, uh, the pale white hair. It was pretty yeah. uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, tough old man. Um, guys, I got a couple of questions. When, when we put out that we were having Alan on, I, I, I was... I'm not shocked because I mean this 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 podcast in particular is for the hardcores. This 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 uh, episode in particular is for the hardcores. I mean, uh, a lot of Leafs fans who would be in their early 30s, 20s for sure, but early 30s and then hardly at all would uh, recognize the name, but probably wouldn't have gotten to see Alan play. Uh, yeah. So this is for the old guys. Our, our demographic turns out, according to YouTube, is like uh, males between the ages of 35 and 45. So this is kind of like us. for those guys. Uh, and a lot of guys, you know, they commented on our links and stuff, and they're like, oh, Bester, he was my favorite guy. Oh, Bester was the best guy. You know, it was a lot of, well, there's nothing negative. It was all positive stuff. And, uh, Fan fave. Yeah, we put out, we put out uh, asked if anybody had a question they wanted us to pass on to you. And we, had, we did have a couple of responses come back. Um, Brandon Lake, uh, he's been a big supporter of our podcast right from the get-go. Uh, cheers to you, Brandon. Um, he messaged us, and he said, uh, he said, what is the most crazy story about Hallard Ballard that you have? <laughs> so I don't know if you have anything crazy, but what's something that really sticks out in your mind about Mr. Ballard? Well, um, as I said, Mr. Ballard uh, was a good man to me. Um, uh, well, the one night I was, uh, I was injured at the time. I'd blown my knee, uh, tweaked my knee, was out for a few weeks and so I went to go watch the, uh, the game in the coaches room. And so I waited for the players and the coaches and everybody to go out on the ice. And so I sneak into the coaches room, going to sit there and watch the game. And sure enough, Mr. Ballard's in there. I was like, Oh, hi, Mr. Ballard. How are you, sir? And he's good. Alan, he goes, why don't you come with me and come sit in the, in the, in the bunker with me? I'm like, no, 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 I am going to be mercifully crucified by the players. If they see me sitting in the bunker with Mr. Ballard. So yeah. who do you, how do you say no to your owner? So mm. Mr. Ballard and I went and sat in the bunker and he's like, no, no, don't sit back there. Come up to the front here. We're up to the counter and watch the game. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm trying to hide back in the corner so the guys don't see me. And so for the next, uh, the next few weeks, they called me King Clancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's a great story. Um, another one that uh, a gentleman, Aaron Webb, uh, wrote in and he said, uh, so what would be your favorite memory, the one that stands out the most during your time with the Leafs? Favorite memory? Um, probably that game against Detroit where we won the uh, – we, we ended up winning after being down three to nothing and, and yeah. coming in and, and, and turning it around and, and ended up winning the game 5-3. And um, that and, and probably my, my first start at Maple Leaf Gardens when I played against Chicago and we, we tied the game 2-2. Um, 
and that kind of set the stage for for being a fan favorite. Um, you know, the Leafs were having a tough season, and and I got to start my very first game in Maple Leaf Gardens and end up getting a tie with uh, with Chicago, and uh, end up getting first star that night. Murray Bannerman got second star, and it, that those two memories probably my my favorite uh, times in Toronto yeah, or games. All the ones, amazing. Well. We already touched on our least favorite best memory. That would have been the, the Calder Cup. I'm still, still miffed. But anyway, we'll move on. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't drag this to my grave with me. So I got to let it go. I'm going to let it go. But uh, it must have been, must have been pretty sweet. Though. I mean, you get. I've seen the clip. Um, I, I have it. Is it my my? It's on YouTube for any of you guys want to want to search it. Search Bester Calder Cup, and it, it shows the MVP uh, trophy presentation. And uh, yeah. it must have been so sweet to be after having been traded by by the team to Detroit, who intended on making you go away, so that you weren't a problem for them. Uh, to be able to look up and see Leafs brass, you know, it must it must have been a sweet moment. I gave them a little wave and said, you know, <laughs> thanks a lot. I'm yeah, this is uh, this is this is a culmination of uh, a year long getting back into um, the hockey world and into the hockey talk and. Supposedly, I was supposed to go in the in the next year's expansion draft to Ottawa, um, but whatever happened, it, it didn't end up materializing, and I ended up working with Chris Osgood in the minors all the next year. Uh, Chris and I split the season, and we worked together, and then he went to Detroit, and I went to Anaheim. Wow. Amazing. Amazing, yeah. amazing. Guys, um, I don't want to keep Alan all night. Uh, we're very lucky to have had him basically twice now. He's like a fourth. I know. We're all pals now. <laughs> we're all buds we'll see you again tomorrow night yeah. alan <laughs> when's our next show <laughs> absolutely yeah. uh but guys did you have anything else for alan like so i've been hogging a little bit of spotlight here you got anything you wanted to no i, I, I got everything i wanted twice i'm good <laughs> yeah no, <it's, laughs> this has been a real pleasure yeah one of my fa- the, the only thing i wanted to mention is that is that called a cup how how cool was it that you see felix versus bester some of the iconic goalies uh, in Leafs yeah. history over the over the years. So, a uh, very cool moment. Uh, and again, Potvin came up the following year, the Toronto. But uh, no, I just want to say it's been a pleasure, Alan. Thank you. My pleasure being here. Oh, and there was a question uh, that did go in, and I did ask, uh, how was the celebration after the Calder Cup at St. John's? And you're pretty sure that you guys hopped right back on the Detroit Red Wings plane. Yeah, we were we were quite lucky that Detroit offered us uh, or allowed us to use their private plane to to fly back and forth because we we were we were chuckling that uh, we would be back in St. John's the day before St. John's team got back. We'd be already in our hotel and in our rooms, and oh, ready to St. Go. John's would be flying out the next day on a commercial flight. And uh, we had we had hot meals on the plane, and you know we were treated so well by Detroit so, during that series because Mr. Illich that would have been Mr. Illich's first championship before they had yeah. uh, won anything in Detroit. Right. So, right. Uh, and actually, that was going to be my follow-up question: Did you have a relationship with Mr. Illich? Because he seemed um, to be another fan, another, another player favorite. Yeah, another he, he really favorite. He was really he really treated the players well very well um he was a huge fan and as i said he was the reason i was in detroit at all he was he told the uh, brian murray to trade for me so that uh, i wouldn't go to minnesota or, or chicago or um chicago minnesota who else was in that division st louis st louis the norris, the norris division. so you had illich and uh ballard in yep. your corner i mean that's yeah uh, it don't get any more iconic than that to be honest no. i mean it really doesn't um no, I uh, I've got I've got nothing else for Alan other than I, I got my closing statement I guess and this always off the top of my head um, the the resounding the resounding theme among players who have spoken about their time playing with Alan Bester uh, the fans who've got a chance to interact with Alan Bester um, anybody who you mention Alan Bester to there's never a bad comment I've never heard one uh, which is what made made me love the player even more so uh the fact that uh we, <laughs> we got two podcasts for the price of one uh thanks so much for making time for us alan wheel i mean it's again truly a dream come true for me to be able to even sit down and chat with you about these topics and hear some of the, the inside stories uh something i'll always remember so i really appreciate and you taking the time sir reliving like my kids are the, the age when i was a fan of yours like back then and uh, it just brings me right back to that and i'm showing my kids constantly the leafs and everything i'm into and i see how my boy re- responds more or less and it's like yeah, yeah. it brings me right back to it and so i really do appreciate the opportunity 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. My pleasure, gentlemen. My yeah. pleasure. You guys have been great. I've had fun the last two nights. But <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm busy tomorrow night. Sorry, guys. Yeah, well, okay. Your loss, Bester. <laughs> All right, sir. We appreciate it. We'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you down the road, and we've got uh, we've got something coming your way as well. Uh, 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 something out of uh, token of appreciation, we'll say. So. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Crazy. All right, sir. Well, your services are no longer required. We'll let you exit stage left. Same as the same deal as last night. You just click the. Uh... Take care. More power to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll be in touch. An asshole. <laughs> <laughs> After all this time, right? If I get to if I get to Orlando, I'll look you up in the, at the Hilton. Sounds I'll good. Leech, I'll bring a sorry, Alan. Jersey. Yeah. It's like sorry, Alan. We're going to go with the Ken Reggett episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks, yes, you too. Bye. Bye. See ya. Okay, guys. So that's it. Uh, that's our episode thirteen with uh, with Alan Bester. I Alan Bester done. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. I'm uh, I'm probably gonna end up. I mean, this this is gonna definitely get a million YouTube hits because I'm gonna watch it a million times myself. Because I just the guy is so just sweet. such a quality dude. You know, he's he's you know there he, he's he's living a life where you know. Hockey was a huge part of his life early on, and now he's closed that his chapter entire life. and moved on yeah. to an, another another personal portion of his life as a family man living in in Orlando, where he finished his career. And uh, he's just a great dude. There's I I can't I can't express enough what a great guy this guy is. A great example of an '80s player. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Him, Coffin, were at the top of my list for top goalies in in my time of watching the Leafs. Um, Mine too. Yeah. Yeah, it, that was a dream that to be able to sit down and chat with him tonight. Yeah. He's fantastic. I got to dig out. I got to go off and dig out his rookie card now because I think I have it. Yeah. Oh, I know. I feel like I've yeah. got. Some I think district. I have it too. I know I do somewhere. Except my parents, I'm sure. I got to dig it all out. Anyway, no, guys. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you give it a like there on on YouTube or or Facebook or wherever you're watching it. Uh, if if you really like the episode, you know, drop a comment down below. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If, if you got any good ideas for future guests, we're always open. Uh, not saying we can get them for you, but we'll certainly give it the old uh, Alan Bester try. Um, uh, yeah, so if you're looking for places to catch up with Deke Snipe Selly, um, make sure you check us out on our own webpage at deeksnipeselly.ca. You'll get us on Facebook at Facebook slash Selly on Twitter. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Deke. And uh, more importantly, of course, uh, hit that subscribe button there. It's to your that way next to Patty between me and Patty right above Chad's head. But guys, if uh, if there's nothing else, let's shut her down. Have All a right. great night. Go Cheers. Leafs go. Peace out. Go See Leafs. You, go Leafs. <laughs>